You're listening to the Road to Wisdom podcast, weaving stories told by wonderful minds about all things motherhood, health, intimacy, politics, nature, and everything in between. Join us on an adventure discovering unique experiences that we can learn from to enhance the ways in which we live. We are your hosts, Chloe and Kishia. Today we have Layla on the Road to Wisdom podcast um, and Layla's brought in her two little sweet four and a half month old boys who are absolutely delicious and they're going to be crawling around on us while we uh, record this. So if there's a few breaks and pauses, apologies in advance. Um, So if you haven't caught up with Layla's birth stories, um, you can find them at Boob to food and beyond the bump. Um, But today we were getting Layla in because we would love to chat. Probably more hospital logistics and high risk. High risk. The Mm. label high risk. Because I think it's a term that really fascinates most people and it's such an easily placed label. And as soon as that label is placed somewhere... um, there's a lot of fear, a lot of fear. Mm. So, um, yeah, we'd love to go into that with you and how, how I guess, from your first birth, who was a home birth and very out of that system, to, you know, planning a home birth with twins and it not ending up that way. But, um, yeah, I guess just the interactions in the hospital and how, and how that... <laughs> How that affected you? Um, oh, where are you going? It's so funny because we've we've got like six eyes just on these two babies yeah. trying to have a conversation yeah. about their existence. <laughs> like, don't roll off the, the table. Universe. Don't roll off this. <laughs> um, maybe we should just let you reflect on how birth, your experience with the, the twin pregnancy and birth, um, is feeling after four months. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I try and I try and stop and think about it quite often because I left my hospital birth sort of saying I felt like I got a home birth in a hospital, mm. and at the time, and I don't want to. I don't want to speak badly about the birth because I think the outcome, in the grand scheme of things, for twins to be born sort of unassisted in water, was such an incredible outcome considering like all the parameters that were going to be placed on me. But then the more I sort of reflect back, and I think this happens a lot after birth, is after time you're like, well, that was unnecessary and that was unnecessary and that was unnecessary. But then at the same time I think um, you can't really apply hindsight to everything because you didn't have the information that you have afterwards. So you don't know that that was going to be fine and that's why you did this and you didn't Mm. know that that was going to be fine. Um, but I think just knowing that in a hospital everything comes from a place of risk management and fear, it's quite hard to meet that with trusting yourself as a woman and as a capable birthing body. Mm. And ev- like I'll never forget going into a meeting with an obstetrician towards the end of my pregnancy because I made a conscious decision to change hospitals halfway through. So basically I'd hired private help that was willing to support a uh, a twin home birth which is pretty unheard of um you can often get uh doulas or free birth twins um which wasn't something that i tr- i guess trusted myself implicitly <laughs> with that's noisy noah um but my discussion with this care provider was that we were going to work alongside the hospital so they knew about me and if i ever had to transfer or anything happened we weren't going into that setting blind where they were like, what the hell is going on? We've got a twin mum in labour. Why don't we know about her? What What was she thinking? <sighs> tell tell to- us about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I know this story better. Let me yeah. tell it. <laughs> um, and I was, I was officially like booked into Gold Coast University Hospital and they were just awful. Like all my interactions with them were awful. They were like, we're going to book you in for this. And I said, no, actually I would like to decline that and they're like okay so your appointment's next Thursday and I'd be like did you not listen to what I just said I'm I would like to decline that and everything I said they just blatantly ignore me and book me in and I was like this isn't gonna work I'm gonna either completely disregard the hospital system 
And at that point, the way the boys were lying is I never felt my second twin. So twin to Joey was sort of curled up into Noah. So I never felt any movement from my belly button to my left side of my body. And I think that in itself planted a little seed of doubt. And it took me about three, I guess, scans or visits in the hospital where they were like, no, no, look, this baby's moving for me to go, okay, this is this pregnancy's norm. It's normal for me to not feel anything over there and both babies are okay. But it was definitely moments of doubt with, is my second twin okay? So I made the decision to move to Tweed Hospital because a lot of people had said to me, a lot of people had said to me, look, it's a bit more of a small rural field hospital. You'll probably get a bit more of what you want there. At that point, I'd sort of settled on, actually, I'm just going to have these babies at home, um, which was a decision that I had to really toy with. When I found out I was twins, I was I was laughing and crying at the same time in the scan. And then I went home and I just burst into tears because I was like, I can't have a home birth. And I was so attached to that because that's how I brought my daughter into the world. And then I managed to find a solution to that problem. And then I had to sit with, wait, do I want a home birth? Because it's so dangerous <laughs> to have twins at home. But why is it dangerous? And that was something, I guess, in the category of twins, DCDA, which is what these boys are, which is two sacs, two placentas are the lowest risk twins. Um, but just talking to the hosp- hospital about it and it was like, but what would like, we're going to have to do this because let me think of an example. Okay. We're going to have to give you syntocin as soon as the shoulder of the first twin is born. And I said, why? Well, because we need the oxytocin for your body to contract so you give birth to the second twin. And I said, well, why won't my body, what well, is my body going to stop producing oxytocin as soon as I give birth to the first twin? It's just in case. We see it all the time. I said, you see what all the time? Labor stops after the first twin is born. I'm like, oh, do you? Yep, see it all the time. I'm like, okay. In some cases, the cervix will close back up and trap the, the second twin in there and my husband was just they like, never come out again yeah I'm like really you see that all the time mm-hmm, all the time I'm like are you just like like can I see a study can I see something <laughs> Could it on be that normal then if they saw if they slow down and it's, every, but it doesn't time? happen would all it, the time would it matter like I do wonder because maybe maybe they have seen multiple twins come through and and yeah the baby like the woman's body goes out of labor I wonder if maybe I don't know, put it out there. Maybe you need a little rest. (laughs) Well, this is so – well, yeah, totally, you need to rest. But it's so so interesting because when I was trying to sort of – everyone's like, oh, it's twins, you'll go early. And I was like, no, 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 Mm. twins go early because twins are induced early. And then I started like reaching out on social media and talking to twin mums and then I started to change my narrative because it was like no no I went into natural labor at 37 weeks 35 weeks 38 weeks 39 weeks and two days and I thought okay maybe twins do come early naturally which plays a lot into my story and how it sort of unfolded but yeah other things that this obstetrician was saying about yeah labor you need the oxytocin and my husband was in the room and he said could she not breastfeed the first twin doesn't that release oxytocin and she was like oh yeah she could do that and he's like well that would make more sense wouldn't it and also how quickly does um syntocin react and she's like instantly and I'm like okay so why are we putting it in me just in case Mm. if there's an issue can we not administer it then oh yeah well I suppose you could it's just this is what we do with the first twin I'm like well from from there on there's no trust there's no trust that, that your body has any idea how to birth a second baby once a first baby comes out. And it was just so much of it happens all the time, it happens all the time, and it just felt like blatant lies of just this is so dangerous that like we cannot let anything happen outside of what we're comfortable mm. with. Um, and even things like, you know, you have to have an epidural because we always have to manoeuvre the second twin to come out. And I, I was like, well, I've just pushed a baby out of my vagina. I don't care if a hand goes up there, like mm. much of a muchness. No, no, no. It's so painful. You will not be able to, we will have to remove. And if we can't remove the second twin, you have to get rushed into a cesarean. 
And was this all before, like, w- was this during, in your mind, you're like, well, I'm having these babies at home anyway? Yes. But so, this was like 37 weeks. Oy. So through my whole pregnancy, it was, I didn't tell them I was just going to have these babies at home, but through my whole pregnancy, it was like, yeah, great. We'll, we'll try and get you to 37 weeks. I'm like, oh yeah, cool. <laughs> How are you going to try and get me there? Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, we'll try and get you to 37 weeks and yeah, this is amazing. And you can, you can have your water birth and, and then you get to 37 weeks. It's like, well, you're 102 kilos. You can't have a water birth. Why not? Well, you're over a hundred kilos by two kilos. Well, no, legally we can't have our staff lift more than 25 kilos and we can't have more than four staff remove you from the pool. And my husband was like, which arm do you want me to pick her up with? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, if my wife's in trouble, I'll help get her out of the pool. Mm. No, no, it's hospital policy. We can't have you in the pool. And he said, well, surely it's easier to manoeuvre weight in water than it is out of water. And for me, I was like, well, I'm not having a baby in the hospital then because I have to, I have big babies. Mm. My firstborn was 4.7 kilos. I had her in water with no tearing. And I was like, if I'm going to give birth to two babies, one after the other, there's no way I'm having them on land. It's happening in water. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of other things that they were saying to me that was just making me less and less inclined to go anywhere near a hospital. But at the same time, planting so many seeds of fear, I'd have to sort of depre- um, decompress for days after a hospital visit because, well, what will you do if a cord's hanging out? Or what will you do if a foot's hanging out? And it's like, well, they're very different things. If a foot's hanging out, I'll deliver a footling breach. If a cord's hanging out, then we'll go with the prolapse cord protocol, which is obviously very different to just a foot coming out. Um, and constantly grouping things together. Sorry. Or giving me... Um, risk factors that were completely unrelated to the type of twin pregnancy that I was. So twin to twin transfusion and you need to have a scan every two weeks because one twin can be stealing more than another. But again, completely not relevant to my... That would be more relevant to twins sharing a placenta. Exactly right. And those kind of twins, can you just refresh my memory? Is that one egg, two sperms and it's divided? Is that how... Uh, Identical one, twins one egg, one sperm. Oh. Yeah, no, I think it's one egg, one sperm that splits. And it splits. Okay, it splits. all right, cool. Yep. Yeah, wow. And then, yeah, so DCDA is two eggs, two, two sperm. sperm. Yeah. But you can also get... Oh, if it splits within the first three days, you have two placentas, two sacs, but you've still got identical oh, really? twins. Yeah, so wow. there was a 35% chance that these boys had... We're, we're identical. Okay. Yeah. But they're clearly not. They're clearly not. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So um, I w- wanted to ask. So yeah, ask me questions because I feel like I'm <laughs> rambling and we're not really getting any <laughs> no, that's all right. information. I'm also getting distracted by your delicious children. <laughs> um, so you're in the hospital because we've spoken a little bit about this mm. where I've also been given a high-risk um, label. Yeah. Yeah. And I do – like I – you know, the first pregnancy, I was like, of course, like we make sure that baby's okay, we make sure I'm okay, do all the monitoring, all the checks, everything. And everything was fine. Mm. And then when I had my second, I was kind of up for that again. Um, I had a private obstetrician first time and a private obstetrician second time. And, but my private obstetrician second time, while being more risk adverse than my first obstetrician, he... um, he wasn't so concerned about um, doing all the tests and scans and stuff. He's like, oh, no, because if your first was fine, well, your second's probably going to be fine. And How did I, you feel about that? Well I, well, I was just like, well, yeah, I feel good. So if, if that's cool, I'm cool. Well, that's cool. You know, I didn't – I don't think at any stage I was actually ever worried about any of my babies, oh, except for Rue because he's – the first time I ever had it um, – posterior placenta okay oh, oh sorry anterior. anterior so you couldn't feel yeah so I yeah. couldn't feel him and I felt all the others really early and we got to 20 weeks and I'm like I don't know if there's a baby in there <laughs> like I don't know what's going on but then yeah all good um and did you scan yeah. to confirm that uh I got yeah so mm. I got scans for all my first three um so Willow was just scanned to the max my first mm. and then Humphrey I think I have five or six scans and then Rue I had two 
Mm. So, and then poet, I had one, but anyway, um, we, I always wondered about all the things that they would say about risk and stuff, because from obstetrician because I like private obstetrician first time private obstetrician second time third time I went through the public system and fourth time I did the midwifery program and everyone had a completely different set of rules Mm. but my diagnosis hadn't changed I was still classed as high risk so the first time was quite like while I had lots of monitoring was fairly relaxed my obstetrician was super chill he's like so long as everything's good you're good my second obstetrician no, we have to induce you at 38 weeks. Okay. I'm like, why? Yeah, why? I didn't get that the first time. You have to have a GBS get, um, test. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but I didn't have that the first time. Everything was sweet. No, 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 that's our protocol and you're high risk. And I'm like, yeah, but I was high risk then. Like, but I'm high risk for reason A. Mm. That's not linked to GBS by any means. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and I do wonder about the test, like, like what are these studies that they're using mm. how often are these studies repli- replicated um are they updated what is the um gosh what is it the study group they're using and Who i always wonder is it and i'm i get these terms mixed up but qualitative and quantitative yeah. data like yep. are we just what's up are we just like finding out that a woman gives birth to a stillborn, for example, and just marking it down as a stillborn as a little tally on the chart? Or are we going stillborn, morbidly obese, 45 years of age, any other factors that could have potentially played into the unfortunate event of losing a baby? But when are they just tallies on the chart and then you have no other data to sort of go, oh, well, this person that did this and maybe that was part of. Exactly. Yeah. There are so many things to consider. We're not all the same and living no. the same existence. How did they fall pregnant? Yeah. Yes. Like was that with a third, third party help mm-hmm. or did they fall pregnant naturally? Were they trying for ages? Mm-hmm. How many miscarriages? How many, like there's so, so many, many factors. factors that you can use to determine the health, the, the capability, the whatever it is. And not saying that any of that is going to lead to a particular outcome, but you can get a general idea. And I feel like what I found in the medical system is that of all the different people that I saw, no one really, like everyone took those studies very literally. Mm. And if you have this diagnosis or you have this high risk factor, you sit and slot into this very, very small pigeonhole and we have to perform A, B and C and there's no other way to do it. And any any movement outside of those restrictions is like would always lead to yeah but your baby will die mm. your baby will die or you double you double your risk of stillborn and i and it's like okay well am i doubling from 40 percent to 80 percent or am i doubling from 0.02 percent yeah. yeah which is so, which was the study that they were basing my really high rates of still like higher rate of stillbirth so the the normal rate of stillbirth and i can't remember in the study particularly because my brain is swished Swiss cheese these days, but <laughs> the study was it was around about yeah you increased your risk of stillbirth or that this cohort of women had an increased risk of stillbirth from the normal which is zero point zero something yep. and it was like like double that which is still zero point zero something like <laughs> you were. Yeah. And I was like, that's a really small risk. And when I did say that to an obstetrician, and this was in the public system, she was like, yeah, but for for um, most people, any risk is too much risk. And well, I, I was don't like, it's so frustrating because there's always risk in anything. <laughs> but it's frustrating because it only takes into consideration the risk that they're willing to look at. It's not taking into consideration the risk of induction, the risk of C-section, the risk of... Cascade of intervention. Anything else that is what they would offer and put on the table as options. Whereas, so like that's okay. Like all of those risks are okay. But letting birth happen naturally, with, naturally yeah. is too risky. Too risky. Too risky. 
But it and it's wild because it's. I mean, I even found at the end, I agreed to an induction for a few reasons, which I can go into. But I remember going in the day before my booked in bo- induction and met with the obstetrician that was going to be on duty. And she said to me, walked in, she goes, I cannot believe you are over 41 weeks with twins. I was like, well, here I am. Like, and I, I come like with my tail between my legs, not wanting to have an induction, but choosing to do this. And she said, I can't even tell you induction's safe for you at this point. I can't even tell you that giving birth vaginally to your twins at this point is safe. But not a mention of, well, and I can't even tell you that cesarean is safe. No, it was like cesarean would be the safest way. And it's like, no. Why do we never discuss the risks of giving birth via cesarean? Why is that the safest option? Because it's absolutely not. And at that point I was terrified. I started crying and I was like do I need to have a cesarean? Am I like, is this so dangerous that I've let myself get, how could I have done this? How could I? And I was like, why am I, why am I questioning myself to that point where I'm like, how have I done this? Why have I done this? How have I put myself and my babies in so much danger Danger. by simply letting it be? And I I remember she came into the room the morning after um, and I said, well, now you've got, now you've seen it. Now you've seen the. Okay, so wait. At this point, so after she'd said all this to you, saying mm-hmm. like, "I can't, like, this might not even be safe," like you're, yeah, you know, you got induced. Yes, the next and day, and then so the next day, and then you saw her again. The so I came in at six o'clock. So one of the reasons, right when I was 40, 40 and five, I had an, an appointment at the hospital, and I said, "I'm not going to go." And yeah. then I woke up to a message from a midwife that worked at the hospital who was friends with a mutual friend of mine. And she said, I know you don't want to come in today. <laughs> I've seen your name on our sheet and I know you probably won't come in today. But I just want to let you know that the midwife on duty is amazing. She's had three home births and a twin, a natural twin birth at Tweed. Um, she is on duty today. I think if you were going to speak to anyone She's who you want to speak to. And I met her and she was just amazing. She like, out of all my hospital experiences, everyone that I'd met, she was just amazing. And I picked my induction date based off her next shift, assuming that there's no way I'd still be pregnant at that point anyway, so it didn't matter. But I also knew that my dad had booked a flight back to England to visit his mum who was about to die. And... He had booked his flight for the Thursday morning because it was the next available flight and that abduction day was on the Wednesday. And I thought if he's waiting to meet the twins and he misses them and potentially misses saying goodbye to his mum because he just wanted to meet the twins, I was just like, that's just too many sliding doors. I was like, and and the other thing was I went into labour naturally with my daughter at 41 and two. So I thought there's no way I'm going to go for the same amount or longer with twins. So mm. I'll book him for the thir- the Wednesday. I'll ha- just have them at home and I might even pop into hospital with them and be yeah. like, whoops, had them at home. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, I didn't even know. I didn't I did, even know. I didn't, <laughs> yeah. And, and I was – and I also, like, I couldn't have a home birth with twins before. Are we going to have a bit more milk or are we just going to feed you? Um, I couldn't have a home birth with twins before 37 before 37 weeks that was sort of the guidelines that I had been given I suppose which I was comfortable with um and so I was like okay just don't come before 37 weeks and they got I got to 37 weeks and I was like okay perfect they want to be born at home this is where we're going to have these boys and then I got to 41 weeks and I was like what the fuck is going on (laughs) why am I still pregnant and um the um care provider that I was working with privately at home was saying to me what do these babies know that we don't know? Like, what is going on? Like, you're so ready. Everything looks ready. What is going on? And so I went to that hospital appointment after that midwife had messaged me and just said, okay, I'll come in. She sounds amazing. And she was amazing. But we put the put the Doppler on and all the, the, the what do you call it, ultrasound machine on. Um, and Twin B's got a really high heart rate. Twin bees, tachy, tachycardic, I think they call it. So all of a sudden I'm freaking out. I'm like, the twin that I was worried about, the, the second twin that I can't really feel ever is in distress. And so they did a trace and he was actually fine. 
but that planted this seed of mm. fear. And then I debriefed after the hospital visit, which I did every time, and it was like, okay, what's going on? And if you have a tachycardic second twin and if you're in a really long labour, I can bring a baby back but it's not easy if baby's had a really high heart rate for the whole of labour and has to go through not only their labour but... They said that to you? Mm. Really? Mm. I, I'm i just... Yeah. Okay. It's a hospital. It's fine. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. This was, this was my private midwife had said this to me. This wasn't, yeah. And it was like, I've brought babies back and I can bring babies back. I can bring babies back and I have had to and and we can, a tachycardic second twin that's gone through not just one labour but two labours. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I just, it was, it, and then I was like, okay. Right. So I don't know how... I feel about this now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's completely, I mean, I can see how, I can see how your intention to have these babies at home with the care that you acquired mm. turned into the way that you ended up having them because, God, how do you fight off so much fear and seeds being planted constantly like that would be impossible it would be impossible because like and i've said it before as a pregnant woman you are so open like everything is so open and you absorb everything around you like you can't not if you are in like i to the women who are like shield like water off a duck's back while they're pregnant I bow down to you because for like for me I know how vulnerable I am if someone says anything negative and I especially in my fourth I distanced myself from friends Mm -hmm. because they not their own stories but had other people's stories of free births that went awry Mm. and I was just like I can't like I know that that will creep in like especially in that last bit so so it is yeah and like for you to start off with the I'm having a home birth because you've had this incredible experience at home but also going I don't want a free birth I'm not comfortable with that because free birthing would mean it was me and my husband which meant that I had to I know in birth I just went into another galaxy Mm -hmm. and so I knew that it would be okay, babe. You are supervising this space. You need to keep an eye on everything. Plus, you're catching two babies. Yes, and two you're looking babies. After me and, and me. Oh, and we've got a four-year-old at home. So make sure she's happy and safe. Because I guess I romanticize. And it was funny after I gave birth in hospital. I was like, maybe these twins knew that there was no way I could go through that birth at home with my daughter watching because I was like, oh, I just want her to be at the birth and it's going to be magic. And afterwards, I was, I was like really I was so quiet in my daughter's birth and this one I was vocal and I was I just felt like I was so much more raw in the twin birth maybe because it was more intense because I had my waters broken because I know that when my waters were broken in my home birth with my daughter because her heart rate was going really high um that was sort of the next course of action and um my labour just picked up to another level and that's when it got really intense. So I felt like the, the labour with the twins was very intense mm. all the way through. Um, and I was like, oh gosh, my daughter wouldn't have been able to been handle scared. that. And her favourite thing to watch is her own birth. And I'm, I felt this like, what it yes, like. <laughs> I know. And I didn't want to, I guess, taint that for yeah. her. Um, maybe when she's older, she can understand that there are still beautiful spectrum yeah. <laughs> of births. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so back to this, I then decided that I was going to trust this person to support my birth, and I did, and they were amazing even in the hospital. But when they started to go, hey, what's going on here? Even though everything was fine and the whole way through it was your body's growing these perfect babies, everything, every checkup you've had, everything's been perfect, and all of a sudden, yeah, one of them had a slightly higher heart rate and it was like okay what's going on here Mm. so then we had that chat and I was like maybe I'll go to the hospital today and we'll do another baby trace and I said if there's one number out of place whatever I'll just get induced I'll just have them that night so I packed my bags I sent my daughter to my mum's house and I was very much okay I'm just gonna go to hospital 
go to the hospital, they plug me into the machine, I'm there for two hours, not a number out of place. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. Okay, home we go. <laughs> and that's when they're like, you need to pick a date. And I said, okay, I'll book him for Wednesday. And this was a Saturday night. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to be pregnant on Wednesday. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to have these babies. Like what, you'd be nearing 42 weeks then? Yeah, 41 and two on the okay. Wednesday. Yeah. Um, and then it was just this back and forth and I wasn't sleeping because mm. it was, what if I wait one extra day and something happens? Yeah. Um, but oh, but this person on Instagram free birth their twins. But if something happens to me, I can't go. Well, someone on Instagram said it was yeah, okay. Exactly. Like I yeah. had to really go. Like, mm. what do I feel? What do I believe? What is my motherly intuition telling me? Mm-hmm. Is it worth gambling on this? Mm. Is it worth everything to gamble on this? Mm. Because it's it's not just. <laughs> And, and it's hard to talk about because some people are like, there's nothing wrong. Uh, when I recorded my birth story, I was reading the comments and it was like, there's nothing wrong with cesarean. Yeah. And it was like, no one, we didn't even talk about cesarean yeah. in that. And it was like, just because you say vaginal birth is amazing doesn't mean that you're saying yeah. that cesareans are terrible. There's mm. obviously a time and place yeah. for all birth outcomes. But I would, what was I gambling on? The future health of my babies yeah. because if I go to hospital I'm increasing my risk of antibiotics and all of these other things which it doesn't oh they're so excited do you, it doesn't just affect them now it affects them for the end of mm. their, their entire life and even for me I was so upset not because I got induced because I picked their birthday it just felt so unnatural <laughs> It felt so unnatural for me to choose what day yeah. they were going to come into the world. And that was what I grieved a lot was picking their birthday, which people think is crazy. But Do you feel like if you had like a really strong anchor who was like, you've got this, I'm going to support you, we're not going to question... Um, like we're not questioning the arrival, like I'm monitoring you, you're safe, the babies are fine. Do you think that would have given you the strength and confidence and trust within yourself to be like, I've got this, I'm just going to have these babies at home? Or do you feel like because you got to so far that you were like, no, I'm done, like I can't, I can't stand up, I'm just like, I'm at the end here, I'm going to just, I'm going to go down that path, even though it wasn't what you... Initially, initially intended. Well, I had that the whole way through. It was getting to forty-one weeks when everyone was like, "Okay, what's going on here? Is there something? Why haven't you gone into labour?" Um, and maybe that was the seed of doubt. But I also felt that I had I had trusted um, a care provider to be there for me and to safely deliver my babies at home. Mm. And so I was putting a lot of trust in myself, but also them. Yeah. And when I watched them go, hmm, what's going on here? Doubt, yeah. Yeah, I was like, okay, should I be worried? Yeah. Even though they were like, I'm not worried. You birth where you want to birth, but I'm, these are my questions that I'm having. And, yeah. I said, and I said, I respect you for having that conversation with me because at the end of the day, we both have to walk out of, we all have to walk out of these, this birth, my husband, myself, mm. Um, the, the twins going, okay, we made the right decisions and we were all 100% on board and in communication with what we were mm. planning to do, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it was interesting. Afterwards, I listened to a podcast with, I don't know if you've heard of that obstetrician in America. He's the only obstetrician that does home births and he specializes in twin and breach. I can't remember his name off the top oh, of my head. No. And he was on the Great Birth Rebellion I podcast. Have, I've listened to him before, mm. but I can't remember his name. But I've Stu, definitely listened to Dr. Stu something. Anyway, he was amazing. And I sort of re- regretted not hearing that. It wasn't out, but before. Because he was saying, well, I've given, I've done twins anywhere from, I think, 37 weeks to 42 weeks Mm. whereas I was getting told that there's no such thing as a twin pregnancy that goes beyond 40 weeks and there's no data on that and I'm going well oh oh no is is that true well that's what I was going to ask um there must be women out there who have birthed their twins to term or and naturally like is there just not well yeah there are 
But even, so that's why I was looking. I was looking on social media because where else do you look? You're like hashtag twin home birth, like what's happening? And nowhere, even Google, could I find a twin birth that went past 40 weeks. It was all 39 and and maybe that's because twins do come a little bit earlier because of their size and weight. But because I was so distraught over still being pregnant and not knowing what to do, I wasn't sleeping there were so many unknowns. So many no unknowns. One was like, you've got this. Like, this is normal. This yeah. is okay. And everyone was up until 40 weeks. And yeah. that's when things started to go, okay, what's going on here? Mm. Even though it was like, well, maybe you just, like, your babies need a little bit longer to I grow. I always ponder on the concept of how clever our, because you conceived naturally. Mm. Yeah. Um, like, when we conceive naturally and we do something that's so easy for us, well, not for everybody, but in that snapshot moment, that's that's what happened you easily did that your body just knew what to do mm. and it happened to conceive twins and all the way through and, that's, and that was the narrative we were saying is your body knows what to do it's chosen to do this and it it's just like it interests me and or not interest i just i find it fascinating that we think wow what a miracle what an amazing thing to be able to do is conceive twins like it's so rare it's so magical but then it's like it's also instantly dangerous. Mm. Like it's instantly something to be feared. It's instantly something that has to be labelled high risk. And it's like it instantly just comes with a whole bunch of risks. Danger, and you're danger, like, danger, why danger. and how? Like if, mm. if, the, if it was so dangerous for you, how did you conceive, conceive it in it. the first place? And if it was so dangerous for them. Yeah. Um, but then this is the other thing. When I called my mum to be like, mum, we're having twins. She said, oh, my, my dad was a twin. I said, well, it runs in the family and it skips a generation. So thank you for letting me know now. <laughs> and she said, oh, well, his twin died at birth. Or she said, oh, no, she she didn't even say that. She said, oh, his twin didn't survive. And I said, oh, pregnancy. And she's like, oh, I don't know the details. I'm pretty sure it was in pregnancy. And she did know the details. She just chose not to say that to me. So yeah. she kept that. Wise woman. Yes. She's like, I'm not even going to go. Everybody take note of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then I sort of guess that as well, I sort of, um, and I always, I always think about the fact that these boys came at 41 weeks. They both came out over four kilos. They both came out screaming. Yeah, both babies come out perfect up gas scores, screaming, healthy. And we pull twins out at 37 weeks via cesarean and what, I don't know what percentage of them end up spending time in special care, but I, it's a lot. Like most people. Yeah. Most most twins end up in special care or – and it's why are we pulling them out early? Because you've got a risk of stillborn after 40 weeks. Well, you have a risk of stillborn after 40 weeks with a singleton pregnancy. The, I think the only reason it's double is because you've got two babies, not because well, it's that's the interesting thing because double. like when you look online and you're like, why is a twin pregnancy high risk? It has like your classic like placenta previa mm. – um, High blood pressure. Mm. Um, All the things I had none of. But that was the other like interesting thing was, is I think twins are told, twin mums are told to take aspirin through their whole pregnancy, which I didn't realise until like I'm on twin Facebook groups now and just reading what people are being told. And it's like. But it just is crazy that we're still looking at these things this data as like okay so all twin or let's say like uh, and this is just a number but like let's just say like 80 percent of all twin mums have like this 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 and this why are we still looking at it like the body doesn't know what it's doing the body is risking itself this isn't normal we must intervene and we must do xyz to save everything you know what i mean yeah i do wonder too on I guess now most twin births would happen in a hospital, under hospital conditions, in a very controlled environment. And I do wonder now what is the data that they're collecting for twin births? Like what is the data? Because I, I wonder that with like autoimmune diseases as well. Like if, if these women are being so controlled and highly monitored and therefore intervened and whether that is – super mild intervention of just – I like I personally believe that just vocals can be intervention enough, just a light can be intervention mm. enough. Yeah. So where – like how can we know 
how long a twin mum can go for if they're always intervening. never let it. Yeah, so like you can't say that that's an entire set of data if you've not seen. It's based on intervention. It's based on every one of those mothers were um, induced or every one of those mothers were not. Had an epidural because just in case, which means it changes the shape of the pelvis and Mm. it does interact with the second twin. So they did need to manually Mm. manoeuvre the second twin. Was it because the second twin needed manoeuvring or was it because you gave the mum an epidural mm. to help with the second twin. And you t- or was was that mum put on her back straight away to push the second twin out? Or was she put on her back to push both twins out because the obstetrician needed to be able to look and manoeuvre really quickly? But then that changes the entire, like, the entire physiology of the birth as well. Like, personally, when, like, I didn't have gravity working with me for my first birth but I did for all my consecutive births and the pushing part (laughs) of labor the first time and I know that first time mums also there is a little extra pushing part but it was really intense and I ended up bursting a lot of blood vessels in my eyes whereas with all my consecutive births having like being able to just move my body around and I didn't have anyone in my ear. It was purely what was comfortable. Like I was just listening to my body, what was comfortable. These babies just flew out and there was much less effort. So, um, yeah, I do. It's a question, a lot of that and not entirely everyone (laughs) there's obviously a lot there that does need to be considered but I do question where the studies are coming from again what the cohort is what conditions the women are under because if if natural birth in its natural habitat undisturbed without any without any intervention including lights including people in the room whatever it is isn't observed that's not recorded, then how how do we have a full ta- data set that we can say that this is more high risk than this? Mm. It's really like a it's it's hard. You can't you can't necessarily work off those numbers when you when you don't actually know what the outcome is yeah. of just letting it be. And then a lot of the other so births and the positive ones and the things where things go well because it's not done to in a hospital, in a hospital or it doesn't meet the sort of needs of a scientific study or it's anecdotal, it just gets completely pushed aside. And it's like, well, you're actually missing a really big data set just because it doesn't fit in the parameters of that specific study. Mm. And I'll never forget the morning after. So something that did happen after birth was I had a postpartum hemorrhage, which, so I lost a litre of blood, which I'm still sort of on the fence on whether I, and this is the thing, hindsight is Were a you in the thing. pool when that happened or were you no, out No, I'd the come out. Then? So this was after I gave birth to the placenta. Mm-hmm. And your blood volume increases in pregnancy anyway. And I actually felt fine. I didn't faint. I didn't feel lightheaded. There were no th- things that – but it was like, okay, that's a lot of blood. Okay, we're going to give you TXN or whatever the medication is and you now can't go home in three hours because we need to monitor you for six hours and then we're just about to leave the next day and they do a little baby check and they flip Joey over while he's being sick. So then it's like, oh, actually, he's got laboured breathing. It's like, no, he was just being sick while you were flipping him upside down. So then they had to monitor him for four hours and just all these things where I'm like, God – it's fine, but now I'm paranoid about my baby's breathing when there was n- like nothing untoward and now I can't go home to my own bed because I lost too much blood and you want to monitor me. But did I lose too much blood? I lost 500 mils after giving birth to one baby and now I've got a 1.2 kilo placenta. Mm-hmm. Is it not then normal that I've lost a... Another. The same, another 500 mil. And also I, I do – like they're not catching that into a beaker and, you know, measuring. Mm. This is this is a litre of blood. Like it's it's all by size, yes. right? And what they think is too much and kind of around roundabouts kind of way. So that – yeah, it there's a lot there that I think needs to be questioned because mm. if we don't, we just – we end up perpetuating those – 
that fear cycle. Mm. But I remember the obstetrician. So I was my point about saying that was that I ended up staying in overnight, which I didn't want to do because in part of my birth plan, which I submitted to the hospital, was three hour discharge because I'm going to have them here and I'm going to go home. I just want to be in my own space. Um, but I then had to stay overnight and then I happened to cross over with the obstetrician that was on for me, came back in the next day and she popped in to say hi. Um, and I just looked at her, she's like, well done. I was like, thank you. She's like, oh, it was close there, but we managed to. Is this the one that told you that she thought it was dangerous? Yes. I can't even tell you that it's safe. And she was like, it was, it was pretty touchy at a few points there because basically she, they convinced me to get a clip on Twin One's scalp, which I'd very adamantly said I didn't want for Twin One in my birth plan, but they were having so much trouble differentiating between the two twins and I was always had this little seed of worry about my second twin. So I said, okay, that's fine. I was also told that you can't have a water birth with the clip, so that was quite up there with my reasons of not wanting it and I'd also seen a lot of things about it coming in the baby's eye or on their face and when she broke my waters I said she said oh your baby's got hair (laughs) and so I knew at that point if they were to put a clip in the part of the scalp that was showing it wasn't their baby's face so I knew that it was just going into the bub's head I still didn't really want it and in hindsight I was like but whatever yeah you just do what you have to do and when I reflect back in the grand scheme of things, I did have an amazing hospital birth for <laughs> twins. Yeah. Um, but I said to this obstetrician who was telling me it was pretty close call because she was monitoring very – because I said no one in the room. So they were literally at the door just monitoring everything, like doing sign language to the midwife, being like, like hurry this up and oh it's taking too long. And, and the twins were born 48 minutes apart, which, I mean, I've heard stories of now – when I was researching twins being born days apart. So like more like, yeah, more than 24 hours apart. So the hospital likes within minutes, their maximum I've been told is an hour. But I did also learn that this um, obstetrician in America that does twin home birth, he said that anecdotally anything more than 24 minutes, he typically sees a postpartum hemorrhage. And I thought that was interesting and I thought, well, maybe because I did actually actively push Joey because they were like, okay, it's taking a while now and we're this second twin's still quite high and we don't want to have to manoeuvre, um, would you try doing a push? So I did a push without a contraction and then a contraction came and he shot out and that was at 48 minutes and I was sort of thinking after hearing that, I wonder if I'd have heard that before. You would have not pushed. That I Or that I maybe would have pushed earlier I would have got to 25 minutes and gone okay I'll give a little push now and then maybe I wouldn't have had the bleed which meant that maybe I wouldn't have stayed but hindsight's a wonderful thing right Isn't it? <laughs> um, but I said to this obstetrician when she came in she's like oh, it's pretty touch and go there but and I was like, another unnecessary thing to say considering your babies are born and you're all good and, and all good right yeah mm. and like two resus tables that I didn't want in the room that they had just in case and neither of them needed to be used and I said okay let's have one because if twin one comes out and they're in trouble, then wheel the second one in. But if twin one comes out and they're great, then cool, you still only technically need one resource table and they take up a huge portion of the room. And it's a really negative thing to look at when you're giving birth is a res- like a resource table for a baby, right? You don't mm. want to be trying to breathe and through your contractions staring at something that is stressful, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I said, well, now you've seen it. You've seen a natural twin water birth at 41 and two weeks with two beautifully big, healthy babies. She said, one story is not enough. I need to see thousands for it to mean anything. Then you've got to let thousands <laughs> you've of... You've got to let it happen to exactly. see it, right? <laughs> I was just like, okay, cool. Thanks. The thing is, is that like I, we hate to be about having this, you know, proving the hospital wrong or proving this or having this vendetta against the system so to speak but it's just that they don't help themselves do they no they don't (laughs) help themselves and they're often proven wrong many 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 times and we obviously expose ourselves because we live a certain lifestyle and we have certain beliefs so we're exposed to many births who are free birth at home while pregnancy not a single issue thriving healthy healing incredibly all the things and 
the hospital just never gets to see them because the type of women who have those births don't dip their toes into in the, the hospital. Mm. So of we also those midwives are never going to see it just because it's just really quickly not. on that too. We also don't get to hear them because it's such a controversial topic that our major birth sharing platforms won't touch it. Mm. So there's a whole co- cohort like of beautiful stories of women who just fall pregnant, have their babies, and I'm sure also stories like flecked in there of tragedy. Yeah. But we don't get to hear it because people don't want to go near that. It's too controversial. So it's if dangerous. we can't if we can't share these stories, we can't hear those stories, then how how is a woman to make a completely informed decision if mm. if if the whole spectrum isn't showed, shown to them? They're mm. not hearing the whole range. And in the same sort of context that while we're not hearing beautiful free births because they're not being shared, we're not hearing the terrible outcomes that can happen in a hospital setting mm, because yeah. every time there's a home birth stillborn, it's all over the news. Like it's all you hear about and there's always a doula present and it's like... Or a midwife and that midwife cops it. Right? Mm. But when have you ever read in the newspaper or online about a baby loss in a hospital? Mm. You don't. And, and it you happens. Know what? Like I don't know about you guys but I've definitely heard a story um, about a negligent obstetrician which resulted in a baby being um, born and then soon after dying. And that obstetrician, I'm pretty sure he was, yeah, there was something going on there. But it definitely wouldn't have been ostracised or bullied like a home birth midwife. No. Um, who, no. you know, may have lost a baby before. And, and then another reason, and it had nothing to do with the fact that the midwife did anything. It's just that some babies do die yeah, and that can happen and that's mm. a part of life and... You know, unfortunately, we're very removed and disconnected from that reality that things do happen. But it's not necessarily the mother's fault or the midwife's fault. It's no, just it's that a, it's a fact of it's I, just nature. It's mm, life. It's like nature, and it's, um, I guess because we're so far removed from nature that exactly it's like it. Yeah, it's hard. I know it's, it's almost laughable. We were waiting for an. I so I I mentioned earlier, and I sort of skipped across. I moved from a big tertiary hospital to a smaller local hospital and I noticed the difference it was night and day but I also chose to remove myself from the big hospital and then check in at the small hospital really far apart so I think I left the big hospital at 13 weeks and I joined the smaller hospital at 34 35 oh my gosh they were actually actually really good and this was the thing is that I think a lot of the time the hospital are amazing through your pregnancy if there's nothing wrong and then you're going oh wow actually they're pretty good and then you get to crunch time and it's yeah you're gonna die your baby's gonna die because even they're it's obviously they're caught up in the fear as well right and they're obviously projecting because you know what out of the the thousands of births that they've witnessed and been present at and you know worked in they have seen bad things happen and Mm. so they're trying to not have that happen but the reality is like sometimes it will just happen and it doesn't mean that every other mother who walks in has to be treated with intervention and the disconnection from the process of what they're just going to do because somebody else had an outcome that wasn't and it's, well, it's business as well, isn't it? It's risk management. It's yeah. we're a big company. We're we're a business. We need to make sure that we're not going to get any well, yeah. legal consequence, or we've got to. And so, all our decisions are being made to protect us as a business, and not you mm. or your like. Yeah, yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, so yeah, the 100%. trauma, the trauma that can result from all the interventions that can happen, is never part of the equation because when it comes to running a business bottom line equals bottom dollar Mm. which is a healthy mum healthy baby and for those who can't see me I've got my fingers are in quotation (laughs) but (laughs) we yeah that and that is just an alive mum and an alive baby and anything that happens in the process of that and again sure there may be a situation where that is absolutely necessary and that's just what that woman and baby are going to have to work through. 
but in so many scenarios it absolutely is not and so yeah again coming full circle around to the high risk or any risk is it's something that everyone really needs to take into consideration and to make a really informed decision and Layla, I feel like you have made really informed decisions even with that aspect of fear and um, fear-mongering from the hospital. Mm. What would you tell a twin mama that was in the early stages of their pregnancy now that wanted to go down the non-intervention physiological birth route, even home birth? Well, it's funny because if you ask me now in hindsight, would I just have had the boys at home and no – because I was so emotional and all over the place. I actually didn't trust my mental state or my physical state. I wasn't mm. sleeping for every night I'd wake up at 11, like 11.30 midnight and I'd burst into tears because I wasn't in labour from, from 39 weeks basically. Mm. And then I'd have insomnia and I'd be up overthinking. And then I'd get to five, six in the morning and go, how, if I went into labour now, how on earth would I give birth? I'm exhausted. Mm. And so... I don't think I would have been able to mm, just birth. On a I was, level. yeah, but I don't know whether that was because of all the things that were mm. coming at me, or whether it was just me, and I maybe didn't get to the point where I completely trusted myself to birth. And it's funny, isn't it? Because mm. I'd given birth before, and I had that to draw on. But it was like it's twins; it's different. But is it different? Because it's just one comes out, and the other one follows behind. And who cares if the second one comes out breach? And there were all of these things that the hospital was like categorically: you cannot do this, you cannot do this. Um, but if you're, and maybe that's something I need to work on: is coming back home a little bit more and being a little bit more intuitive and trusting but it's sometimes it takes four pregnancies (laughs) (laughs) right so maybe on your sixth baby (laughs) that's if you have twins again (laughs) um before we wrap up there was a question that I wanted to ask you before we jumped on but then I waited until we were on here and it was around the mystery of birth so and pregnancy and I like because I've been pondering this for a little while now when when with my fourth, I absolutely did not want to know anything. I didn't take a pregnancy test um, and I, I didn't want to have any scans. I ended up having one, but no Dopplers and no nothing um, from that 20-week scan. And I do wonder about if, if we didn't know, like if we didn't have scans at all, if it was back in the day when like – and you didn't know, would you – would – would it still affect you the same way? Like, would it still affect you the same way as, you know, you know you have twins and you know that this is the placentas and you know the position they're in and all this stuff? Or would would we get, be given the opportunity to be more intuitive or like even just feel positive about it the whole way through and not stress about what the outcome could be at the end? Like I, I, I just ponder that because mm. if – like I personally feel and I, do, I don't entirely know because obviously I've never been in the situation but I'm like if I just don't know and maybe this is a little bit of, you know, burying my head in the sand but I can only, I can only feel what's happening inside me and then you can only feel good and joy from what's going on. Like and whatever happens after at the pregnancy, I mean at the birth and at the labour and postpartum, you, you deal with then but like being in the present and what I know and feel now, like would that would that change the outcome? Like I, I mean just pondering on this but I, mm. I do wonder that and I was wondering like how, like would you have known? Like if you never got a scan or did a nip test or anything like that, would you – do you think you would have known that it was twins? No. I, and I've said this before. I don't think it was until I was like 36, 37 weeks when I'd get Braxton Hicks and I'd see two babies basically that I would have known. And, I mean, I was huge at the end. But I don't – because, I, like I said, I never felt anything on the left side of my body. It was a second pregnancy and they say you get bigger with each pregnancy. 
um, my HCG levels were through the roof. And at nine weeks, my doctor was like, we need to, te- we need to get a scan. Because I was planning to not have a scan until 20 weeks because I wanted to go down that route of let's not, let's do the horn instead of the Dopplers and let's have less scans. And, and then I found out and she said, I need to know if there's two babies in there because if there are, it's going to change everything. I've got um, hypothyroidism, so they wanted to change my medication, all of these things. So I go, I find out it's twins at nine weeks. It changes nothing. So I even felt, not bullied, but I felt pushed into getting a scan that I didn't want. And then I was so grateful that I found out I was having twins, but at the same time I was like, I could have found that out 20 weeks. I could have found that out 42 weeks. (laughs) I could have found that out 43 weeks. Who knows? Fully. It's just... um, but then you say that you can just – you'll be blissful in that and it could be ignorance is bliss, but you'd just be trusting and happy and feel good in your body and not knowing that there are risk factors, I suppose, mm. by not going down the route of scans. And the issue with scans is that they don't improve the outcome no. anyway. They just... And they find things that aren't things, mm. basically. And it gets you thinking – purely about the future it Mm. takes you out of that present Present. and you're just thinking about that like what what is this going to look like what is like what is labor going to look like you also didn't include their motherly intuition either because Mm. you said that i'd just be feeling that everything was fine and everything would be fine and then you deal with it whatever might not be fine at birth but there might be points in that where you go actually something doesn't feel right and maybe I don't know what inspired you to have a scan at 20 weeks with your fourth to, to stay in the um midwifery group program okay. it was like the one thing I consented to okay mm, yeah and, mm. and isn't it funny that you have to and oh uh, it's, it's shattering yeah but you, you have to do things just to tick a box and then normally you do that thing and they find something new that then takes you out of the whole program and you're like that's what I wonder too like Mm. So after you got the scan, the 20-week scan, and you just submitted it, did anyone even probably look at it anyway? They're just like filed. We can't get sued. I this don't, I I don't even know if they did. I stop suing midwives. <laughs> Can you stop? If you're listening, please don't sue a midwife. It's making it really freaking hard <laughs> for all of us. No, like they, they didn't see it. They didn't see it. Oh my they God. didn't even see the scan. So I walked into the scan and I spoke to the woman and this is during COVID too. So, and I'm so bloody hospital adverse. I hate masks. Like I'm just, I hate like all of that stuff just icks me. And I walked into this room and I like refused to wear a mask as well. Well, that was me um, as well. Even in this yeah. pregnancy, it was like, can mm. you wear a mask? No, thank you. I'm d- I, like, I was just like, oh no, I'm totally exempt. Yeah, no one. And then uh, no. I mean, they even asked for my husband's documentation when we were walking to the hospital. He's like, "I don't have to show you that." And she was like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> Why even say it then? Yeah, but but he, like it, here we are. Like I walk in and I'm like, I don't want to be here. I opened with that. I'm like, I don't want to be here. I know everything's fine with my baby. I feel really good about it. Um, I don't want to see anything on that monitor face it away from me and I don't want you to talk to me about anything in like that's happening with my baby and and I was like because I'm I'm pretty sure I know exactly that everything is fine and not pretty sure like I knew I felt it everything was fine and I'm like I also know that it's a girl but don't you dare confirm or deny that and do not look at the genitals (laughs) and she was just like Oh my God. Okay. And so she just talked to me about COVID the whole time. It took like usually those 20 week scans in the past for me, it's taken like 40 minutes. I was in and out in like 10, 15 minutes. And yeah, but still would have preferred to not have been. Could you not have walked in there? Can you just say you've scanned me (laughs) and can you submit someone else's pregnancy? Honestly, I feel like we're at the point where some people would do that. And it just really proves that we're in a system that isn't for us. It's for it's for the people at the top and sorry, I've got a baby pulling my hair and pulling my eyes and um, yeah, it just really solidifies that there are really good intended, good intended um, midwives with good intention and everyone has good intentions, but there's also this very obvious um, like need to perform certain things to tick certain boxes and that's not for anyone other than the people at the top and I find that that's such a it's a letdown I guess the overall it's letting us all down letting women down it's letting women down and the overall I guess thing that it's saying is we don't 
trust your ability to do what you were made to do. Mm. <laughs> that is why, like, from like an evolutionary point of view, like our role <laughs> on earth as mothers mm. is, or well, as women, is to technically we're here to, to procreate. Like we, we grow babies yeah. and we birth babies and that's what we're made to do. It's and not it's, arguable. <laughs> no. And it's basically saying we don't trust you that you're going to do that well enough. We don't trust your body. We need to make sure that nothing's going to mm. go wrong. And then we start to create all the things that can make something go wrong in the end. Mm. Yeah. Well, on that, <laughs> I'm going to continue making this baby giggle because it's <laughs> just lighting up my ovaries. Um, thank you so much, Layla, for coming in. This has been, I think, a good eye-opening conversation um, and, and interesting. And I think, I think we've touched on some really beautiful points that people can, can ponder on as well because there's a, a lot that doesn't get discussed and I, I do feel um, – I mean, at the time of this recording, there is a current call out for people to um, submit their trauma, like birth trauma in the hospital to New South Wales. But even positive birth stories because they need to – I was listening to something yesterday and they were saying that we need to submit both. Okay. Like we need to show that there's trauma in a hospital but a doula-supported home birth – Oh, had no trauma okay. yep. and so this is a solution that we can present or this woman that had an mgp birth had no trauma and so this so they're even asking for both oh i didn't okay. know that and they're even saying if you could if it's too traumatic to relive to submit that i am dealing with so much trauma from my birth experience in hospital that i can't even come to terms with writing, terms it, with writing it down and i just need you to know that and wow. that is a submission so that's um that's good to know yeah. um but also this probably won't come out in time for people i think that is it cut off is the 11th of august okay um yes but i think in lieu of that it is good to open up these conversations because i don't think they get held enough mm. and so people so women coming into their motherhood phases and their birthing phases don't get to make these informed decisions Oh, tell me about it. We're done. We're done. All right. Thank you again, Layla, so much no, for coming thank in. Thank you for having me. And sorry it was a bit messy. No. <laughs> this has been we'll the best. There. This has been the best. We'll, um, we'll see you all soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Road to Wisdom podcast. To join the journey, you can follow us on Instagram at theroadtowisdom.podcast and at www.theroadtowisdompodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We look forward to seeing you next week with more juicy content.